If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I have three kids. My oldest is my type 1. He is eight years old and he was diagnosed at two and a half. So it's been six years. He wears a Dexcom and Omnipod 5. And then I have a four and a half year old and a two year old and they currently do not have type 1. And we're starting to look into summer camp for him and as a step for him to gain some independence and for us to practice being separated from him. We've sent him to my in-laws for an overnight. But my husband and I are going to go on our first overnight without the kids. And I have some anxiety about releasing control. And I was just wondering if you have any advice on how to step into releasing some control of his management and for him to gain independence and for us to gain more independence as he grows as well. Mm -hmm. So I just want to clarify here, Rebecca, you're talking about summer camp for like an overnight camp. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. We're thinking Mm -hmm. about that for like a year from now. Uh So So you're really planning ahead. Yes. We're taking baby (laughs) steps. Uh We're taking baby steps to take a bigger step, which Uh would be a three-week summer camp. Wow. That's big. So I love what you just said. Baby steps to take a bigger step. That like, I, if I could make a motto, I think that would be my motto. So thank you for just giving that to me. I think that the anxiety you're experiencing is incredibly normal. And I think that given that your son was diagnosed at two and a half, it's even more normal. Because I think that when you have a diagnosis with a very young child, you are used to doing everything. You're used to being firmly in control. You manage everything, everything, everything. And the idea of letting go is much harder. If you have a kid who's diagnosed in middle school, you have a completely different configuration on that. And I want to name, since he's on a Dexcom, I think that that trains you to be even more attentive. Like I love a Dexcom. (laughs) My kids both wear them. They really saved my life in a lot of ways in terms of sleep, right? And it's like there's a feedback loop that you have to be watching all the time. So it makes it even harder to let go. So I think that what you're experiencing feels profoundly normal to me. That's the first thing I want to say. And the antidote is exactly what you're doing, which is taking these baby steps. I I kind of love and admire that you're looking a whole year out. That's incredible. (laughs) But I like that you're taking a baby step to put the kids with grandparent. You know, you're, you're creating little tests around where you feel safe, what you can do, how you can challenge yourself. Like if we think about the safety zone and the stretch zone, I'm making circles with my hands, but you're in your stretch zone. You're seeing where can I stretch and what does it feel like when I stretch? And that's exactly what you want to continue to do. And I think you need to also follow your gut. Your mommy sense is important to listen to. And so when you're in that stretch zone, 
that there's a balance there between anxiety and paying attention to your mommy gut, right? Because sometimes the mommy gut gets really nervous and we have to actually say, shh, 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 it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. paying attention to your mommy gut in a sense of making sure that he's with people you feel safe and comfortable with. And you feel like they understand that you're nervous, that's normal, and that they're respectful of your anxiety so that you are in communication with them in the way that you need so you feel safer stepping back. That's that's what I'm thinking. How does that all land? Good. And I I liked hearing the part that especially hit with me was when you said being diagnosed at so young is different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because... I haven't thought about it that way. And Mm -hmm. when I do meet people with children who have been diagnosed at eight or nine, they run into different challenges, equally hard challenges, but it is very different than a two-year-old where you are managing everything. And I've just never thought about it that way Mm -hmm. and having to step back slightly on everything because he's older and he can do much more now Mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. And he does do much more. Trust that he feels low and yeah. treat his own love. Wow, which is amazing. Think about your first kid versus your third kid and how much you probably did for your first kid that they didn't need you to do, right? Mm-hmm. How long did you clip them up in their car seat when actually with your third kid, they were like, I can do this, mommy. And they do it, right? It's sure. a little like that. Um, because kids who are diagnosed are more competent at picking things up and we're more confident in letting them. And so since your son was diagnosed so young, it's going to take a little longer for you to realize that he can do it. And you have to trust and feel safe, right? That's, that's the most important piece. So I love that you're setting it up for yourself so that you can have safety and build that over a year. That's wonderful. And I made sure to have like backups so that like even if my in-laws weren't 100% comfortable, I had a school nurse on my backup so that like mm-hmm. if something went wrong and I couldn't mm-hmm. get there in time, I know that she'll be there to help them right. on the overnight, right. which mm-hmm. I think also made them feel more comfortable, but it made me mm-hmm. feel more comfortable knowing mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. she can um, she can do everything, like change his pump that my in-laws might not feel 100% comfortable with. Right. So you're, you're thinking through sort of what the possible weak points are so that you can make sure to create a safety plan. And and that's all good. And it's unfortunate, right? You can't just step away, right? That's one of the burdens we have as type one parents. We have to think through lots of different small scenarios, but I think you're managing it beautifully. Good. Thanks, Rebecca. Deep Thank good you. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. I am Lisa Constant, and I have a daughter who just turned 18. Mm -hmm. She was diagnosed with diabetes when she was 13. 
She does have a number of other conditions which complicate our situation. But I guess what I am struggling with with a newly 18-year-old is enabler versus making her independent Mm -hmm. to help her in her life not just with the diabetes, but she's become very dependent and was kind of homebound for a while. And once they turn 18, everyone all of a sudden thinks overnight they became a self-sufficient adult. (laughs) You know, you can't take calls for them. So I'm really struggling with wanting her to have the independence to be successful in life and not wanting her to cause irreparable damage either daily or ongoing because she uh, doesn't do a lot of self-care. Okay. So I'm hearing... Can you back up for me, Lisa, just so that I know you said she's become very dependent or there was a period where she was very dependent? Can you describe to me what you mean by that? Yeah. So about six years ago, we started going to the doctor frequently and then she was diagnosed and was in ICU with type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And she was actually pretty good after that. We felt like that was manageable. I know this is mostly about diabetes, but then subsequently nine months later, she was diagnosed with celiacs and subsequently about a year later was diagnosed with POTS, which is probably the most debilitating, but also her little body. I think the combination of all of them, it was physically and emotionally debilitating. She's developed pretty debilitating anxiety over life, food. You can't go out with your friend, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things. Mm -hmm. And it kind of became... For me, what I'm trying to work on is it It really felt like life or death to me, which I think it was at times, right? Mm-hmm. So I became available 24-7. I'm trying to have a career. I have another child, you know, but, mm-hmm. and it just over the years has become, you know, she's, she's reverted to be almost like a toddler. And then, you know, she has to go back to, she hasn't been in school. And, you know, she turned 18, which I think was kind of a wake up call for all of us. And, or, you know, just a, a tipping point where you go like, wait, I'm not doing her any not serving her by being an enabler and being codependent with her. But however, like at our last endo meeting, they basically said, we are asking you to take over management for her because this is life threatening. So obviously I will, especially if my doctor asks me, but I'm really trying to, I want her to want to self care mm-hmm. and I want her to have the tools but it's hard because I can't, I don't don't want her to die in the process. Right. So help me understand why the endo is saying it's life-threatening. Like, is there something Um, she's doing that makes it more life-threatening than the average T1D? Well, because she doesn't harm herself. Like some kids cut, she harms herself through lack of self-care. So she was going weak without checking her blood sugar. She wasn't giving herself insulin. Mm -hmm. Her numbers are all over the place. She's either super high or super low. So yes, Mm -hmm. she was, she was lack of doing something. And lack all the time, Lisa, like she never gave a bullet. Is she on a pump? After this, we went on a pump or I'm sorry, she's on a pump. She didn't want to be on a CGM. So um, even if you're on a pump and you don't give it any information, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can't do the thing it needs to do. Mm -hmm. So she had always, I think I bought CGMs three or four times and she finally now will use it. And I Mm -hmm. think she has given her self-care to me in a way. Like last night I was up three times correcting her. She sleeps through it and I go in and push the buttons. Mm -hmm. So I'm struggling with, I mean, you can't make somebody want to be independent, but I'm struggling with wanting her to self-care and have a life and also support her, but maybe in a different way than just doing it all for her. doing, doing it. Yeah, right. That makes sense. And she's a senior in high school. 
She's not. She didn't graduate high school. The pots made her bedridden for a couple years, so she didn't. So we actually are just, she is starting one class at Cabrillo College. Mm -hmm. Once you're 18, you don't have to have graduated high school. And um, I think it was a bad, high school just is, it's so, it's just a horror. It's like, that's when she got sick. That's when she got Mm -hmm. diagnosed. So she doesn't Mm -hmm. even want to do those classes right now. I mean, obviously I'll support her with whatever, but right now we're just trying to get her enrolled in one class at the community college. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to meet her where she's at. Yeah. And so that's what I'm struggling with is just, again, I don't think I'm doing her any service by taking care of her like that. It's And what's the conversation look like with her about it? Like, how are you talking with her about it? I'm not someone that gets really upset or pushes, but I think any little thing she feels like is pushing. So I'm finding the more I back off, the more she's willing to do. So ridiculously, like for years, I mean, if she would lie in bed and say I'm hungry and I would run down. And so right now I've quit doing that. And I'm just telling her I'm trying to support you. So Lisa, you have to back up for me because I'm not sure I know what POTS is well enough to understand how she's like what the whole overall medical picture. So can you give me a a orthostatic tachycardia, which is basically it's diagnosed by a cardiologist, but basically like when you and I stand up, our Mm -hmm. brain says, okay, move the blood around. Mm -hmm. When she stands up, it doesn't. So it Mm -hmm. like cools. There's a lot of fainting, blacking out, Mm -hmm. severe Mm -hmm. nausea. It's it's pretty debilitating. Mm -hmm. And with her, the thing, like the way I think of it is like, you know, like if you have a cell phone and like, if you only have one app, the battery is going to drain slower, but she has all the apps open. Mm -hmm. So her battery is very short lived. Mm -hmm. So I think the diabetes is probably the most life threat, you know, in the sense of like, you can do severe damage if you're not taking care of it, or you could literally go into a coma or something. I think the other stuff is super debilitating, but not life threatening. Mm -hmm. So when the doctor says she's killing herself, what is he, she talking about? Her Her numbers. Self-care with diabetes. Okay. So I think this is a really tricky picture and I don't have a simple answer for you. I would like a simple answer. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I had my magic fairy dust, Lisa, and could sprinkle it on this situation, but it sounds very, very complicated. And it sounds to me like she has a kind of almost phobic relationship to being up and about. Mm -hmm. Right, that she has become really dependent on you and very frightened of being out in the world because it signals to her all kinds of bad things that can happen. That's you pinpointed it. Yeah. Okay. No one ever said it like that, but that's true. Yeah. And that's separate from the diabetes. So let me take them a little bit separately because the treatment for any phobia, right? Like if you have a spider phobia, the treatment is first to think about spiders right? Imagine a spider without freaking out and having a panic attack and then see a picture of a spider and then be across a room from a spider and then be nearer to a spider and then touch a spider. I'm simplifying. No, I, but, I, I, but I hear you. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Right. So some of this is, we call that exposure therapy. And some of this, I think is that model. I think I would be as a parent considering that, like what's the exposure therapy that she needs so that you can help her be more in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I do wonder what she wants when she can set all her disease aside, right? And set aside, and that's a big order for someone her age who's had this amount of trauma, honestly, with her experience. If she can set it aside and imagine what she wants, what would that be? And 
I would help her. I would really start by continually asking that question, you know, in all kinds of different ways coming in through the back and side doors. Like, what does she want so that you can be moving her to get there? Because even imagining that, I think for someone like your kid is going to be really hard. And I agree. I do. Cause I say all the time, well, what would you like to do? What would, and she, she puts it out there a little. And then I think exactly your point. She, that would be scary if I, you know, yeah. what if I do and I don't feel good? What if right. I, yep. yeah. So yep. we're trying, we're, we're, we're trying to just give her whatever options mm-hmm. she And And when she has that withdrawal, like what if I do and it feels scary or something happens, what the messaging needs to be there is something along the lines of, yeah, that could happen. Let's think about it. Right. Cause again, with exposure therapy, and if you were doing cognitive behavioral therapy, what you're doing is you're not like, if you have someone who has OCD, like the classic thing is they wash their hands all the time. They're washing because they have a thought something bad will happen if I don't wash my hands. And so some of the treatment is having them sit with that uncomfortable thought to notice that lo, lo and behold, nothing terrible happened. So some of it is just letting her be exposed to the uncomfortable things saying, yeah, it could happen that you could feel uncomfortable, but you could survive that. You have tools. Let's think about the tools that you have, right? So it's supporting her in that way. So I think that's part of your answer to how to get her out. I see a question on your face. Well, yeah. So like, as an example with school, we were trying to get her register and she wanted to, and then she did it. And then I said, okay, so it sounds like you don't want to go. And she goes, well, no, maybe I do. And I said, okay. And then she said, well, what if I don't do well? And we said, you could drop the class, whatever, like whatever you want to do, as long as you have a month to drop, whatever. What I'm hearing from you is maybe more explore with her. Why, like what would cause you to drop it? Like, what would that feel like to you? Like, what would, like, instead of just saying you could do it, but like, maybe talk. I wouldn't even say I wouldn't, that's too much. I think when she says, I, I, what would I do if I didn't do well, you'd say, it'd be okay. If you didn't do well, would you learn something? It'd be amazing for you to even be there. Like your goal as a kid going to this class is a little different than someone else's goal. It's not to get an A it's to just be there. That would be an amazing accomplishment for you. Okay. Right. So yeah, yeah, it might be uncomfortable. You might not do great. That's okay. You can do great later. (laughs) Right. 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 But first we got to get that muscle built. Right. right? right. She hasn't been to the gym basically in a really long time. Right. You're giving her a two pound weight and you're saying, can you carry it around a little? And she's saying it feels really heavy. And you're like, that's okay. We'll get to three pounds and five pounds later. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. And then with the diabetes, I feel like it's a really complicated picture there too, because she's not used to having to take care of herself. Mm -hmm. And so obviously the more invested you are in your life and the idea that you will continue to be living in it, the better you're going to do in it. So all these doctors who are saying like, you're killing yourself, it kind of, I'm not loving that messaging only because right, it makes her collapse. Like what's the point if she's just going to die anyway, basically. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It feels very harsh and yeah. Like then, okay, then I should do nothing because- So I think there are a few things here. One is a lot of validation for what she is getting right. Yeah. Right. She is wearing her pump. She is now wearing a CGM. That's amazing. Let's applaud that. Yeah. And I am a big believer in taking small steps. So noticing with her that she, it's hard for her to dose for breakfast. I have no idea. What will it take for her to dose for breakfast? What kind of support does she need to dose for breakfast? What kind of alarm? What kind of reminder? But I would be have her do as much of the pushing of the buttons as possible because it sounds yeah. like you've taken that on in a way that's not good for either one of you. 
right? The middle of the night part, Lisa, I don't know any kid, none, who will wake up in the middle of the night unless they have to, right? So most of the kids I know continue to let mom or dad take care of their diabetes until they leave for college, right? So since she is not leaving for college and she's going to be home, my guess is you're going to be doing middle of the night for a while. If that's the case, then you need to talk to her about, and this could be a place you start like, hey, it's not okay with me if you're up above 200 in the middle of the night, whatever that number is. So you and I need to partner better in the hours before bed because I can't get up three times. It's too much for me. Right. So we need to really think what dinner is and what how you're dosing before bed so that this doesn't happen for me. Right. You get to be a person here who has needs that are separate and different from her needs. I'm trying to remember that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one. You were there and I heard it even in how you're talking about it, right? Like I'll do anything. And I hear that. And part of it is letting go, which is so much harder than doing. Right. So that's, I think, why I came here today and why, like, I'm just at the point where my brain's like, okay, you're, you have to start letting go to let her be, mm-hmm. like, to help her. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. But I hear you, like, just trying to do manage. I, yeah. If I get up, whatever, but you're right. Do management up until then. And ex- so let me ask you one more thing. Like, as a mom, I'm sure this is common. Like, we're strong. We don't break down. Like, we show, but is it better to let her know that, like, you're kind of saying, like, I have to tell her I can't do this. I'm a person. Like, do I, you're not breaking down by letting her know that. But it's okay to be vulnerable with her and not be... Oh, yeah. I believe in that. Like We are people and our children learn about being in relationship with other people in some part by being in relationship and authentic relationship with us. That doesn't mean that we're their friends. That doesn't mean right. we open up the box and share every single thing. That doesn't okay. mean we break down and cry and sob about how hard it is for us. We have to have some containment. At the same time, we are people and we need to express to them how they are impacting us when that happens. Right. I, I don't, you know, I think to say my <clears throat> nights are tough, it's hard when I have to get up three times, we have to manage this is totally reasonable. You don't have to be a superhero who can do all those things. She needs to know that she's impacting you. Yeah. Okay. That's where I'm. I think struggling for her is I don't like her to know that. I, yes. So I hear what you're saying is she mm-hmm. has to know that that's affecting other people besides her as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Because otherwise she gets kind of like, like navel gazing, right? Like it's all about me and it's not all about her, right? It's a whole system here that her life is impacting. And if she understands that better, she will be more responsible, I believe, to the whole system. Mm-hmm. Not in a guilty way, just in a like we are interacting with each other and we step on each other's toes and we have to be thoughtful about each other. Right, right. Yeah. I don't want her to take it on, but you're right. It's probably okay to let her know. Baby steps. Yeah, absolutely. You've got a lot there. It's hard. Yeah. And I know it's a little bit more than diabetes here, but that's the main thing we're focusing on now. No, so. but you know, the truth is just because our kids have diabetes doesn't mean they don't have other stuff too. And the interaction of those things is what becomes hard, right? And I always feel like diabetes comes and sits on wherever the fault line is in a family. So if your marriage is having a really hard time, that's exactly where diabetes is going to sit. If your younger kid is particularly prone to feeling jealous about attention given to the older kid, that's exactly where diabetes is going to sit, right? Right. So in your case, you've got a big fault line, right? You've got a kid with a lot going on and a lot of anxiety. You know, Lisa, I'm feeling for you. I think for every parent as their children get older, 
um, it is hard to figure out how to let go. And you have a, and the more complicated the picture, the harder it can be to let go. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think your stance is, is right on. Like, how do we back away a little bit and let her make her mistakes while trying to provide as much safety net and scaffolding as we can that's age appropriate and it's not killing us? Yeah. And I think, like, the other thing I've become kind of, I don't want to say resentful, but I manage everything for her, but I also have a full time job. And I also have, you know, I have a lot of other things. And before I could call the doctor, and make an appointment. And now I do it when I have five minutes between an appointment and they're like, well, she needs to be on the line and she doesn't answer because she's whatever. And I'm like, you have to, I can't just do this. Cause then like I had to sit on hold and get the person and like, I'm trying to get her to, I'm like, you need to come to this with me where like, cause I can't call for you anymore. Even if I want to, like you're 18, like I have a healthcare, I have health, I have the power of attorney and healthcare and everything, but that's a hassle too. Right. So I think that's where the 18 thing kind of hits you, right? Like, okay, you got to do this stuff and step up as well. So, which is an important message for her to hear, right? It's important for her to know. And I think even, yeah, I, what I'm hearing is she might not take it up, but I kind of feel like it would also be fair to say to her, Hey, I'm working full time to today's a really killer day. I need you to make this phone call and make this appointment. Right. So like not even, handing her a big bite, just little bites to, yeah. to sort of transfer the responsibility over to her yeah. is a totally reasonable thing to do. Yeah. I'm not reading what I'm seeing on your face. <laughs> it makes me laugh because I know she won't do it, but it is completely reasonable. And that's uh-huh. what I'm struggling with because uh-huh. I imagine she'll just not do it. I'm just trying to, re- to get to be available to give me permission to like conference in right now, but I would love it if I could actually get her to make a call. That would be amazing. Well, if she doesn't make the call, then you can say, Hey, what happened that you didn't make that call? Yeah. Right. This is an expectation. I need you to do this. Or actually, let me back up. Not I need you to, you need to do this. Right. And I can't help you here because my day is super full. You and I both know that this needs to be done. What's getting in the way of you doing it? Yeah. I want to write that down. What's getting in the way of you doing it? Yeah. That's a good, I think, question to pose to her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it gives me some food for thought. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad to meet you. Good luck with this. This is a big, heavy load. I can yeah, see thanks. why you're struggling. That thanks be for great. being here, Lisa. It was really generous of you. Thank you. <laughs> thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type one, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Thank you.